because we've been talking about our church's mission statement for the past four weeks now, I thought I would start this morning by sharing with you some of the mission statements of several well-known and successful companies. First, there's Coke. Here's Coke's mission statement. Coke's mission is to refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. I don't know about you, but when I first heard that, I I thought that was a bit much. Don't you agree? I mean, how is carbonated sugar water going to inspire moments of optimism and happiness and create value and make a difference? Here's Starbucks' mission statement. Starbucks' mission is to inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup in one neighborhood at a time. Again, it sounds good, right? But how does a cup of coffee and a muffin inspire and nurture the human spirit? What does that even mean, anyways? I mean, I love coffee as much as the next person, but I'm pretty sure that, you know, my spirit has never been nurtured and inspired by that cup of coffee, especially a Starbucks cup. So though these... Companies are highly successful, and they've probably thought a lot about and paid a lot of money for someone to come up with these mission statements. And though they sound good, the first two at least are a a bit overly optimistic and, and just immeasurable, right? How do you measure whether or not you're nurturing someone's human spirit? Well, that's why I like McDonald's mission statement the best. Listen to theirs. It's very simple. McDonald's mission is to be our customer's favorite place and way to eat. Now, that may not sound as grand as the the first two, and though they don't use words like nurture and inspire and refresh, I believe that mission statement, McDonald's mission statement, is better by far for three reasons. Number one, it's practical. Number two, it's measurable. And number three, it's doable, right? And that's the way I feel about our church's mission statement as well. Here it is, once again, up on the screen. Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. I believe our mission statement, it states something. It says something. And I believe it's biblical and practical and measurable and doable. As we've said time and time again in here, Christ left us a mission just like that. He left us a mission that is practical and that is measurable and that is doable. He spelled it out for us believers on what we're to be doing for the rest of our lives as believers until he returns. He told us as we're going about our lives, we're to be making disciples. We also learn in the scriptures that the church is the primary place where this happens. The church is the primary place where discipleship takes place, which is why we mention making disciples in our mission statement and why our mission statement says what it does. 
We believe this is what we were put here as a church to do and what we're to be all about. And as I've said several times in this series already, we as elders and as leaders have been talking about and praying about how we can be more proactive to make this happen. How we can be more proactive in taking you from where you are and moving you forward in your faith. We're serious about this thing. In a few weeks, we're going to have an elders retreat. We're going to devote a day to, to just talk about this. So you be praying for us in the weeks to come as we meet together. Folks, we want this place to be a place where you come to know Christ if you don't. And we want this place to be a place where you grow in your knowledge of Him. And we want this to be a place where you get equipped to use the gifts God has given you for the purpose of ministry so the church is built up. And we've talked about how we do this over the past few weeks as well, haven't we? We believe this happens. We believe disciples are made through worshiping, through connecting, through serving, and through impacting, which is what we're going to talk about today, impacting the world for Christ. And as we've said in here already, our, our hope is for you to be involved in these things, in, in worshiping here corporately Sunday after Sunday and also privately Monday through Saturday. Our hope is, is that you connect with folks here more than just you know in the foyer for a few minutes after church or occasionally at a food and fellowship, though it may start there. But we want it to move from there into a more personal setting, into a Bible study or a small group. And as we said last week, we want to see you serving here in this church. We want to see you give of your time and your energy and your resources to be a blessing to this church, whether it be doing lawn care or whether it be helping us in the back with the kids or whether it be being a youth sponsor or leading a, a Bible study or a small group ministry. And we also want this serving to spill over into your private life as well. And we want to see you love and serve others out there in the world the way Christ has loved and served you. And lastly, we want to see you making an impact as well, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about the fact that we at Fellowship are all about impacting the world for Christ. We believe that our God, the one true God of the Scriptures, is a God who wants to be known by us. We believe, I believe, Scripture clearly teaches that he's gone to great lengths to make himself known to us. We also believe that he also wants to use us to make him known to others. Now, before we, we talk about that, before we talk about us making him known to others, I want to take a few minutes this morning to first make the case for you from Scripture that our God wants to be known. Then I'm going to explain in general terms what that looks like, and then Bill is going to come up once again. He's going to share with you specific ways which you can make an impact in and through the ministries that we have in place here at the church. But first things first, before we talk about making God known, let me first share with you three things 
that I believe we see clearly in Scripture that show that our God is a God who desires to be known by us. First, notice God makes himself known in creation. He makes himself known in creation. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Psalm 19. Look at verses 1 and 2. Psalm 19. First two verses. Listen to what it says. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. This is a psalm of David here. And David tells us here that creation is speaking to us. It's telling us that there is a God who is behind it all and who has created all that is. Just recently, NASA sent a spacecraft to Mars. I have a digital image of it up here. And on this spacecraft was a a robotic rover called Curiosity. Y'all remember this, right? And uh, this rover was designed to maneuver around Mars and take pictures and collect data about the planet and send information back to us so that we could have a better idea of what's there and what's going on on that planet. And it took eight months for this spacecraft to reach Mars, traveling at 13,200 miles per hour to get there. And the reason why it took so long to get there is because Mars is about 352 million miles away. And it cost us about $2 billion to do that. And I tell you all this to make this point. On the one hand, let's be honest, that's amazing that we're able to do that, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing that we're able to send a spacecraft into outer space to a planet that's 352 miles away. And it's also amazing that that machine, that robot, that rover can then send us back images about the planet. I mean, let's be honest, that's incredible, isn't it? But think about this. Though that's an incredible feat, no question about it, we've barely even scratched the surface when it comes to exploring our universe, much less our own solar system. Think about how many planets are out there that we cannot reach in a lifetime or more, 10 lifetimes. Took a handful of some of the most brilliant men in the world to design this aircraft and this machine to gather information. It took over $2 billion and nearly a year of travel to take this ship one planet over from us. Here's my point. When thinking about the scope of creation. It's overwhelming, isn't it? It really is. It's overwhelming to think about how massive our universe is. But on top of that, picture this. There is a God who spoke it all into existence without any effort at all. Now that should blow your hair back. Though the scope of the universe is incredible, unfathomable, think about the God who created it. Christian theologian and scholar John Calvin, when talking about the universe and the world that's been created for us, 
He referred to it as the theater of God's glory. I love that. All of creation is just the theater of the glory of God. And the point Calvin was making was this. Though creation is remarkable and vast and magnificent, it does not compare to its superior creator. When Calvin thought about creation, he thought about its much greater and superior creator. And that's why God created this vast universe and us to live in it. You ever wondered why God created all these other planets with ours? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder why he created billions of stars that are found billions of miles away? Why did he do that? This right here. He did it so that when we look out at the world that he's made for us, and as we venture out and discover new worlds, he did it so that we would know him and praise him for it. Missionary Stuart K. Hine got it right when he wrote these famous words, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. God meant for that to be the response as we look out and admire his creation. Folks, God creates to be known. He has made this world for us and has put each planet and each star in its place and has created this vast universe in which we live for the purpose of being known. He has created the heavens to declare his glory, to point back to him. He shows through his creation that he is there and that he is truly great. So God, he makes himself known in creation. Notice also, he makes himself known through scripture. Not only has God revealed himself to us in creation, but more specifically in words. His words. It's what we call the Bible, right? Scripture is clear that God has inspired kings and prophets and apostles to write about him and give these words to us so that we can know God by reading his very words to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. Why? Why would God do this? Why would he give us this book? Why speak in and through the tongues of these men? The answer is simple. God wants to be known. He wants us to know him. When, when an author writes a book about himself, we call those books what? When they write a book about themselves. Autobiographies, that's right, good, you're awake. The prefix auto means self or the same, and a biography has to do with the study of one's life. So the word means a self-study of one's life. And when one writes an autobiography, what they're doing is they're putting into words who they truly are. And when they publish these books, they're wanting others to know about them. That's what God's done for us. When he gave us this book, he gave us the true word about who he is. He gave us the true word about what he has done for us. 
And the reason he inspired these men to write these words down and share these words with others, folks, is because he wants to be known. That's why it's important we become students of this book more than any other. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So God makes himself known through Scripture, through creation, through Scripture, lastly, through his Son. God makes himself known through Jesus. And Jesus is God's supreme form of revelation. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1 quickly. Hebrews 1, and look at verses 1 and 2. And if you're behind getting there, don't worry. These are listed in your spiritual growth guide, so you can look there if you are not getting there quick enough. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Listen to what the author of Hebrews said. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. The author of Hebrews is telling us that back in the day, God spoke through his prophets, through their speaking, through their writing, but in these last days, God has given us a supreme form of revelation in that he has given us his son. He's given him to us. So again, in in summary, what we've talked about so far, God has revealed himself in a general way through creation. He's revealed himself to us in a special way through scripture and in a supreme way through his son, the Lord Jesus Now, I want you to understand something here. It's very important. When we say that Jesus is God's supreme form of revelation, that does not mean that Jesus' words in Scripture are superior to the other writers in Scripture. All Scripture is what? Inspired by God. That's right. The Bible, as we're told in the Bible, it's written by the Holy Spirit through human authorship. Therefore, the words of the kings... The words of the prophets, the words of the apostles are God's words, just as Jesus' words are are God's words as well. They're equally inspired. But Jesus is supreme over creation and over the apostles and prophets because he's God. Think of it in this way. When we look at creation, we are looking at God's handiwork. When we look at the Bible, we're looking at God's written word. And when we look to Jesus, we're looking at Emmanuel. God himself, God with us. Jesus is God in the flesh. Therefore, he is superior over all other forms of revelation. When the disciples walked with him and talked with him and sat with him and ate with him, they're walking and talking and sitting and eating with God himself. And again, why did God do this? Why did he send his son? Why did God the Son come down to earth and take on flesh and dwell among us? The answer again is the same and it's simple. It's because he wants to be known. This is how committed God is to this thing. He has condescended down to us. He has identified with us by becoming one of us to be known by us. Not only do we see that God wants to be known through the person of Jesus, but also through his works and his teachings. 
his teachings and his works. When Jesus came to us, he came for the purpose of revealing salvation to us and for the purpose of accomplishing salvation for us. He didn't just come to hang out and say, hey, I'm God, I'm going to hang out with y'all. But he came to reveal something. He came to, he's the word, as John says in John 1, 1. He is the revelation. He is the one who comes to make God known. And he is the one who prepares the way so that we, through him, could know God. Folks, God is so committed to making himself known that he sent his one and only son to die for us so that we could be brought to him through Christ and have life in his name. That's how committed he is to this. So I hope you're convinced here this morning that God wants to be known. Essentially, everything he does is for this reason. And the application for us believers is simple. Because God desires to be known and because he's gone to great extremes For us to know him, our response as his people should be to make him known. And this is not just something I did using my own logic here, okay? This is not something I came up with on my own. Christ left this assignment for us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, remember what he said? He says, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Believers, we're called to pick up where those who have gone before us, where they've left off. We're called to pick up the torch and continue making him known. Scripture is clear. God has chosen the church to be the primary vehicle for him to be known in the world. He has chosen us, church. He has chosen you, believers, to take this message and to be his witnesses and to spread about him, about who he is and what he's done out into the world. God tells us very clearly he wants us to do this. He wants to use us, church. He wants to use you, believers, to make him known. That's the point Christ is making shortly before he leaves. That's the great assignment that he has left for us. And that's why we emphasize missions at this church. Though we've said time and time again through this study that you're to be coming here to get established in truth, the reason you're to be coming here to get established is to get ready to be a witness out there and to make an impact in this world for Christ. Now in a moment, Bill's going to come. He's going to share with you some specific opportunities on how you can do this, on how you can make an impact in and through this church. But before he does, let me just give you a a more general idea of what impacting the world for Christ looks like. One way for you to make an impact in your world for Christ is in and through the way you live, through your lifestyle. The way you live your life at home and out in the community and in the workplace is very, very important. We have opportunities each and every day to represent Christ just by living for him and seeking to honor him as a husband, wife, father, mother, neighbor, co-worker. There's a church I interned at uh, when I was in seminary, and I loved it. When you're leaving each day, they had a sign out. When you're driving away, it said, you are now entering your mission field. I love that. We need to be reminded of that. That's why you're here, to get equipped to do what you need to do out there, represent God to the world, make an impact 
Another way we make an impact individually and personally is through being a witness to Christ for others. This can be something as small as inviting people to church, though that doesn't substitute for sharing the gospel. It's a great start. Remember Jesus' disciple, Andrew? Read about Andrew in the scriptures. You know what Andrew's doing all the time? He's just bringing people to Jesus. It's like, here, listen to this guy, you know? And when you bring people to church, you're bringing people to hear about Jesus. And I guarantee you, I'm going to make you a commitment right here in in front of you today. That's what they're going to hear week in and week out up here, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to magnify Christ in here. So bring them. Bring them. And of course, you can also make an impact personally when you go further with your friends and family and coworkers by sharing the gospel to them, folks. God wants to be known again, and he has chosen to use you to make an impact for him. And the way you do so is when you choose to share with someone how they can come to know the God who desires to be known. Third way. You can make an impact as in and through local ministries in our church and out in the community. And we have many folks making an impact in those those kind of ministries. And Bill's going to talk about that more in a minute. And lastly, one last way to make an impact for Christ is by praying for and giving to and getting involved in foreign mission work as well. You'll see in a moment we have a lot of those opportunities for you. Folks, this is the one thing that people need more than anything else. They need to know their creator. They need to know the God who wants to be known, and you can share that with them. What an awesome privilege that is. My prayer for us as a church is that we would continue to come here to get equipped to do what we need to do out there and make an impact in this world for Christ If you've not made that kind of commitment to this church, I urge you this morning, commit yourself this morning to that. Commit yourself to come here to get ready, to get equipped, so that you can represent Christ out in the world and make an impact for him. to be missionaries and and that's something that Jesus desires for us and and as Jesus lives in us it should be our desire too and one of the things that we want to do here at Fellowship Bible Church is give you opportunities to be missionaries whether it's close in or abroad to other parts of the world and I want to show you some of the opportunities that we have through the church here first of all a real good opportunity that we we do often is with uh, Jeff's Elijah Retreat and Elijah Retreat works with uh, autistic kids. It gives them a camp to go to. And I think just as importantly as working with autistic kids, it works with their parents too. And it gives them a break and a place to go where their kids have a great time and feel comfortable. And and that is an outreach that we as a church support and give to and, and, and are really proud to be a part of. Another opportunity we have here through our church is through HOPE. And HOPE is, a, is an outreach that's actually community-wide. There are a lot of things that are done through HOPE. Several of them are things like uh, they offer classes, classes on uh, uh, 
taking care of finances and taking care of yourself personally. They also uh, have programs to help people with medicine, and uh, they have a program where they give kids school supplies or work uh, for kids to have school supplies, and that's something that we've been involved with in the past. And in fact, I think we've got a little video concerning hope, so let's, let's do that now. Jacksonville. Our town is home to some of the friendliest people, tranquil landscapes, and a whole lot of tomatoes. Yet, our community is also home to some troubling statistics, and one in particular is a cause for concern. One in four children are at risk of hunger every day. Malnourishment has become a major problem for the children of our community. And everyone from county health officials to schools and nonprofits are alarmed at this growing trend. To better understand how children are affected, we met with Christopher Taylor, Executive Director of the Public Health Department in Cherokee County. These statistics are from uh, what we call the county health rankings. So the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, uh, in conjunction with the University of Wisconsin, puts out a ranking of every county uh, across the United States. And so if you look at this, what this tells us is that Cherokee County, in terms of health factors, ranks 197th out of 221 counties. So in other words, we have a lot of work to do. Allison Hale is the director of the Hope Center, a local charity that distributes food and medicine to community members in need. Among their programs is the Backpack Program. This program supplies weekly food packages to at-risk children through local schools. Every Friday, children are given backpacks containing nutritious meals and snacks to keep them fed through the weekend. The backpack program is crucial, especially in this community, because we have so many of our children that are economically deprived, uh, probably higher than any of the other areas that you would see surrounding us. Um, Cherokee County actually has one of the highest levels of poverty in the entire state of Texas. The East Texas Food Bank provides the food for the backpack program. And several times a week, volunteers show up to help assemble the packs. Michael Hetrick is the online communications manager at the food bank. The backpack program is very important to us because it addresses really a big problem in the country and that's child hunger. Here in East Texas, one in four children is actually at risk of hunger right now, which is a number that there should not be because children should be the ones that we're really looking after because nutritionally, when you have a child who is at risk of hunger, who may not be getting the nutrition that they need, that not only puts their health at risk, but that also puts their education at risk. Perhaps it puts their behaviors at risk. So it's something that we can try to address and really help those kids to get a good start. School officials have found that some children are particularly lethargic when they return to school on Monday mornings, as the children are unable to rely on school lunches to fill their stomachs during the weekends. Eric Alvarez is a school counselor at Fred Douglas Elementary. I've had several cases where a kid has you know, been taken to doctors because they're, you know, they're distraught, they're, they're acting up. Uh, there's not a few times where the kid has said, I'm just hungry. We have one child, and uh, the child, they'll get on the floor uh, and pick up the crumbs and start eating. The kids go dump their trays, and the child will be uh, waiting at the, at the, you know, there at the end and he's picking out the food that the kids didn't eat, and he'll just quickly eat it and then get back in line. They, he's been referred, but 
we just didn't have any any more any more bags that reached my my quota for the year. Mandy Bowen is also a school counselor. She works at Joe Wright Elementary. Our children have to take care of themselves a lot. And so a lot of times it's they, they just can't cook for themselves, if, even if there is food in the home. And so the food that's in the backpack is food that they can, that's easily ready for them. They can open it and eat it and, and take care of themselves if they need to. I've been here for three years, and each year we've added two hours. It's very easy for us to find a child that needs it. We, we have children that ask, can we have a food backpack, but we don't have enough. And so I think the more people we can tell and share the, the wonderful stories and that there is this possibility, I think would be you know, a, a really good start. Today, the food crisis is growing more rapidly than the support needed to give each needy child a backpack. And some of our children go hungry. Marion Lofton, caseworker at the Hope Center, explains. There's a lot of children that probably need to be on the program. A parent might have lost their job. Uh, maybe the beginning of the school year, the family was doing fine. The parent was working. But situations change week by week. And that there may be children that with the, something might have changed in the family household, and they need to be on there now. And we don't have the room to add that child at this time. It's $157 a year to sponsor a child for the backpack program. I mean, to think that there actually still are kids out there that we could be helping, and it's just a matter of money. We can't, we can't serve every single one that would be able to be served. So it, it's a horrible feeling for us. But together, as a community, we can solve this crisis and allow our children a future full of health and opportunity. Help by sponsoring a child today. I can also attest to you, working, have worked in the schools, that there are a lot of needs here in our community. And hope is a great opportunity for us to reach out to our community. They've organized it for us, and uh, it's something that our church supports, and, and it's, it's a good program. If you're interested in helping with that, Graham's, uh, just contact him. I, I know he works with the uh, uh, Serving Meals week on a weekly basis, and uh, uh, it's, just, it's just a great opportunity if you're interested in doing that. We also reach out to those in need in other countries. Uh, We've sent mission teams to Africa and Nicaragua, and uh, we've worked with orphans and widows and, and worked in, in orphanages. And this is a, a transition house, and let me tell you just a little bit about it. We'll go on to the next picture. But these are, are boys that are about ready, most of them, some of them are, are they're working with, but most of these are about ready to transition out into society. Now, these boys were orphans. And they've completed high school, and uh, they've got job skills. Some of them, a lot of them, are working back with other orphans. Okay, and this, this is a group that we support, and this is a group that we sent there to Nigeria. Also, if we can go to the next picture, there's uh, Tim Eden, Eden teaching uh, uh, some women that were uh, widows, 
and uh, working with them and, and teaching them a, a Bible lesson. And that's a, a group that we support. They're, the unemployment rate for women in Nigeria is well over 90%. And actually, that building is, uh, is a sewing center. And they've, they've learned skills to sew, and they're able to support themselves and their own kids. Okay, if we can go on. Our group in Nigeria ran a vacation Bible school, and as you can see, we probably could not have fit another kid in there and had them lined up wanting to get in. It's, uh, now, that room is, is kind of a misconception. That room looked real nice, like it was a, something that you would see. But if you were to go on the outside and look at it, you would say no. And if you were to see the pot that they cooked the food for all that kid that was outside uh, where they cooked the mush that they fed every day. Those are kids that we support. Those are orphans and a vacation Bible school that we do with them and, and uh, have done with them is really neat. Also, uh, we support Jim Wilson and his ministry in Nicaragua. And if you look in the back corner, there's uh, Graham photobombing that picture of Jim. <laughs> so, but uh, it's, a, it, it's a place where we take... Uh, we, we've sent groups that teach pastors who go back to their home churches and work with their congregations. And, of course, they can't go to seminary and school like, like we do and like our pastors do, so we have to bring school to them. And I believe last year we had, uh, we go on to the next picture, uh, 165, I believe, that attended uh, our classes that we taught there in Nicaragua. So just, just multiply that out. Okay, we're, we're working with 165 pastors, and they are going back to their churches working with their congregation. So it just, it just continues to go on and on. And I believe there's one more picture. Am I right? Okay. And, and this is, we also, when we were there, we worked with uh, women and orphans. There's two pictures. Women and orphans. They're widows and orphans. And uh, uh, there, there are a lot of orphans throughout the world. Not a whole lot here, not comparatively speaking, in the U.S. as in the rest of the world. Uh, we reached out and, and helped with them, brought them Bibles and, and taught Bible studies and, and taught some skills, some sewing skills and things like that. So we do a lot, lot of things that we do. Outreach here in our community, we also do outreach out to the, to the rest of the world. If you're interested in any of this, please contact me or Graham, and we would love to get you plugged in.